Jesus changes everything, but a legitimate question for us is, what changes? And I'm going to talk about and share with you, and thanks for letting me share with you. Thank you. Let me kind of sub in for Pastor Cody. I want to talk about four things that are core essentials to who we are that will change when you meet Jesus. You see it in every historical account. If you read the New Testament and you begin to understand the life of Jesus and who he interacted with and what he did, you see these four core things change in everybody that meets Jesus. Now, those who trust Jesus have a change in a really positive way. Those who don't trust Jesus oftentimes had it change in a negative way. And those are simply these four things. Meeting Jesus will change the real me. Who I am. One of the most difficult and oftentimes complex questions to ask, especially in our student years. But truthfully, most of the adults that are visiting with you today and are joining you today, they struggle with this as well. It changes the real me. It changes my view. It changes what I understand, how I filter life, how I look at life, how I put together a construct in my mind and in my heart on how I'm going to live and who, who I am and how that gets defined down the road as I'm participating in activities and just living life. It changes my view. It changes my perspective. It changes the framework of my thinking. It changes my past. That's number three. It's going to change our past which we'll look at and understand that's a really good thing. There are a lot of great things we want to remember in our past and memories we want to cherish and hold on to, but there's a lot of things in our past we just simply need to be rid of. We need to jettison them and be able to move past it. And meeting Jesus allows that opportunity. And most importantly, and definitely not the least of the four core things meeting Jesus changes, is it changes our future. It changes where we're going. It changes who we're going to be. It changes our outlook, our aspiration, and the reality of the commitment of our hearts and lives and what we're going to do. It changes everything from this day forward. Nobody, even those who rejected Jesus, stayed the same after they met Jesus. Paul, one of the biggest and best examples of a completely changed individual, wrote one simple word in his letter to the church at Corinth. And it's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Our students have been hearing it all weekend. It's the theme verse for this weekend. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. And by the end of this service, you'll be able to repeat that with me. I don't, we don't have it on the screens, but you'll be able to look at it, turn in your Bibles, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you're pulling it up on your app, put it on your Bible app and highlight it, mark it in some way, bookmark it, put a note next to it, put today's notes next to it, or follow our notes on you version. This is a life-changing verse in Scripture. It begins by changing the real me. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, if anyone knows Jesus, if anyone has now re-identified their life by meeting, knowing, believing, trusting in Jesus, it changes us at the very core of who we are. And it's hard for us to know who we are. It's hard for us and it's difficult for us to completely and fully understand who we are. Because everybody wants to define who we are. As a student, you're under constant pressure right now to define yourself by who you are. 
Maybe you are a choir kid. Maybe you are a band kid. Maybe you are a football kid. Maybe you're a baseball kid. You know, who, who are we? How does that identify us? How does it define us? Are we identified by our schools? We have, we have a variety of schools, a number of high schools that attend our church. Does it make a difference? What, whoever I am, if I'm a hurricane and, and that little bird that you guys are, if I'm a cougar, if I'm a wildcat, does, does that identify? Does that, is that who I am? Am I, am I only that for this moment? Because you'll beg your parents for a letter jacket. You'll beg your parents for a class ring. That one month after you're in your job or in your college or university, it'll go in the closet or go in the drawer and you'll become old like me and your kids will have to figure out what to do with it at some point. Because it identifies you now, but in reality it's not who you are. Because who you are should sustain through all of the events and circumstances of life. And it doesn't change. Once you get out of high school, once you move into college, college is going to want to do the same thing. They're going to want to define what your colors are. They're going to define how you identify yourself as some creature on earth. You're going to be a bear. You're going to be a longhorn. You're going to be some kind of individual character in life, some funny little guy on the side of a building like an Aggie or a Sooner. And that's who you're going to be. And they're going to want you to define yourself that way for the rest of your life because they're going to want you to continue contributing to college after you've paid all that money to go to college. And there are people today, I can guarantee you, there is some university represented on shirts in this room at this moment. Is that who we are? Are we defined by our vocations? You don't have to think about that right now, but you'll have to think about it as an adult. Am I, am I a lawyer? Am I an engineer? Am I a mechanic? Am I a, am I a homemaker? Am I defined by my vocation? Jesus changes everything because he changes the very core of who we are. If anyone is in Christ, see, designating ourselves as a Christian is not a religious decision. It doesn't identify you with an institution. The root of the word Christian dates back to the first century. And that's because nobody knew what to call these radical people who said Jesus was everything to them. And so they simply started calling them Christ followers. Because the the most obvious and distinctive characteristic of their life was that they followed Jesus. And that got shortened into the term Christian. Christian isn't a religious designation. That's what actually separates us out from every other religion in the world. We are followers of Jesus. We are not particularly religious people. Uh, The rest of the world will want to classify us that way. But we're not. I am a believer. I am a follower of Jesus first and foremost. And anything I do that appears religious is a result of the fact that I am a Christian first. I am a follower of Christ first and foremost in my life. If any man be in Christ, if any person be in Christ, if any lady be in Christ, this changes everything. Because it changes the real me, who I really am. Yes, I have a family. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not good. 
And yes, we can talk about family of origin, but that even doesn't define me. I am a product of my parents' love, and I can define myself that way, and I can spend the money, and I can attempt to define myself through genealogy and through DNA and tie myself into some type of ancestry. But the day I met Jesus, I became a member of God's family. I became a child of God. And that defines me. In a time in society when definition is so hard to come by, it's essential that as believers we remind ourselves, I am a follower of Jesus. And I practice that at my church. And I'm glad to be a part of a church that encourages and strengthens me. But first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. When I go to school tomorrow and I'm with other students, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. When I make decisions about college, when I make decisions about careers, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. When I make decisions about spouse, when I make decisions about family, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. In every area of life where they will tend to and want to define us, we are followers of Jesus alone exclusively. That's who we are. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. There there are so many shows and there's so many activities and so much talk about refurbishing and retrofitting and, and doing all these things to old cars, old buildings, old areas. In church life, we refer to it as revitalization. I am your pastor because I was called here to revitalize this church, to help come in and change structures and change, change the way things were operating and things were happening and the way things were being lived out and explained, to revitalize and to create a new church. But understand this. Jesus is not someone who just retrofits repairs, or revitalizes. Jesus fully and completely changes everything. Paul said, I'm in Christ now. I have this new relationship with Jesus. That new relationship with Jesus means I am a new person. I am fully and completely recreated. Not in my image and not in the image of somebody who wants to stereotype me, but I am fully new and recreated in the image of God. That's why Jesus used the very clear and simple illustration of that faith shift that happens when we trust him. He called it rebirth. And it's gotten bad press over the years and born again doesn't always mean that well and you probably don't want to go around school saying that because people are going to look at you funny and laugh at you. But the reality is on the moment I made the decision to trust in Jesus and the moment you make the decision to trust in Jesus, we're a new person. We're not attempting to repair. We're not, we're not attempting to somehow come together and, and in some form or fashion say, okay, we can make what it was better. I mean, it's great when people do that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's amazing when craftsmen come into a house that is worn and dilapidated and, and out of date and, and, and uninhabitable. And then through the efforts and the works of all the people in the teams, put it together in a new way that's completely inhabitable and completely impressive. 
It's, ama- it's an amazing process. It's an amazing process to see some vehicle from way back even to the turn of the previous century be given new parts, new paint, new, new structure to make it look like it was originally. Jesus will not make you look like you were originally. Jesus wants to make you look like him and he wants to make you look like you in your new creation. And sometimes we think that it's just about repair. It's not about repair. It's about a completely new life. That's why that's our identity. That's why that changes the real me is because it changes my view and it changes my view of who I am. I am am a new person. I would strongly encourage, I would encourage anyone in the room, anybody on live stream right now, take and look and find the date. Approximate it as much as you possibly can. Maybe you were a child when you made that decision, yes, I believe in Jesus. And so maybe it's indistinct. It was somewhere in that fifth year or somewhere in that seventh year. If you were baptized, there's a good probability the church that baptized you issued some kind of certificate and they have some kind of historical information on the date of that baptism. If that happens now, if it was this weekend while you were at Disciple Now, if it was during this moment, you said, you know what, I'm going to try trusting Jesus. Mark that date down. Remember February 18th. Remember February 19th. Remember February 20th. Remember when it happened. Mark it down. Because that is your new birthday. And it should and oftentimes does surpass your original birthday. Because my original birth was filled full of sin and it was prepared no matter how cute I was. And yes, I was cute. You can look at the pictures. I was going to make mistakes and I was going to make decisions and I was going to do things that twisted and 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 literally destroyed that beautiful image of an infant into a sinful man. When I said to Jesus, yes, I believe in you, in that moment, I wasn't repaired. I was created new in a brand new way. And that will last forever. Oh, yes, I'll make mistakes. We laughed. I think it was last Sunday because we'd had a lot of problems and issues throughout the morning. And we just talked about being imperfect. And some people have made this their slogans at their churches. We're imperfect people in an imperfect church waiting for a perfect Savior. I'll make mistakes. But it never destroys who God created me to be. I think Jesus' disciples, probably like many of us, not just our students, but I think like many of us, probably struggled with the security of that because life itself is insecure. If our physical strength can weigh out, I'm teasing, I'm teasing Robert about being on all of his Mobic and ibuprofen this morning, but the truth is he's not the man he was. I'm, I'm waiting any moment the whole sound's going to kick out because <laughs> I'm totally dependent on those guys up there. You can't hear anything I'm saying it's, it, when, they, when they mute me. Um, on the, well, never mind. I just won't even go there. We're going to wear out. Our insecurities are founded in truth, but our security in Jesus is also founded in truth. 
And, and Jesus came to his disciples on that day and he looked at them and he, I believe he probably held out his hands in some form or fashion that indicated strength. And he said, look, now, now that you're my father's children, now my father holds you in his hand. And nothing, nothing can separate you from him. Nothing can pry God's fingers back off of our life and say, okay, yeah, you got recreated. You got recreated on February 20th, 2020 at First Baptist Church at Disciple Now Weekend and you got baptized next week or the following week and you indicated that, but hey, now you've gotten off. You've gone, you got out of high school successfully. You got out of college. You got out of vocational training. You got into a job. You're in the middle of your vocation and things went wrong and the temptation happened and you made bad decisions and poor choices and those bad decisions and poor choices led to significant sin and you feel like it's all cast aside on the side of the road and it's like you've just been laid off over there in the bar ditch with no one to rescue you and deep in your heart God's going to be saying you're still my child I still love you I'm still with you I didn't let go the whole world can let go of us our companies our schools our families our friends everything can let go of us but Jesus said my father will never let go. And no one can force him. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. This is a new life, completely defined underneath the relationship we now have with God. It's not who we were and what we want to be today. It is who we are now in this moment. Celebrate that new birth. Embrace Jesus's illustration and understand you just aren't the same person any longer. And when all the world says, this is what we're doing, that gives you the strength to say, but I'm not you. I'm not of this world. I am a new creation. Because my identifier, and the only identifier I want in my life is that I'm a follower of Jesus. Which is why we can deal with our past. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, if you're fully cognizant and you fully understand the mistakes we've made and the bad choices we've made that led to sin and that that sin, first and foremost, offended God, knowing that the old can pass away is a great thing. It's, it's, it's a great experience to be able to stop and, and take a breath of air and say, you know what? That's, that's not me anymore. I'm a, new, I'm a new creation. And that doesn't define me and it doesn't haunt me and I don't take that baggage with me. You know, it's only going to be baggage if you carry it. And Paul's saying, you don't have to carry it. Ah, but this is what my dad did to me. This is, this is what my uncle did, or this is, this is what happened to me at school, and this is what my teacher said, or this is what they said on the, out, on the, out on the field. This is how they defined me. It doesn't matter. The past is gone. Jesus has erased it. God repeatedly says in Scripture, I don't remember it. And if God remembers it, there is no good purpose. There is no reason for us to keep remembering it. He is cast into the depths of the sea, he says. 
He has separated to a degree from east to west that's unmeasurable. We cannot calculate, and God's not interested. I remember somebody told me real soon after I became a Christian, because like everybody, I made mistakes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, you know, and, and they said, you know what? Have you confessed it? And I said, yeah, I've confessed it. Do you believe God's forgiven you? I said, yes, I believe God's forgiven me. And then they looked at me and they very bluntly said, then you need to forget it. Because that's not who you are. And God forgave it. And now every time you come back to God to confess the same sin, he's looking at you going, what are you talking about? Literally, scripture says God does not remember it. You're bringing up a repeated conversation. And we're, we're bringing up a repeated incident that God has not only forgiven, but forgotten. But it's the flip side, too. Not only sometimes will the bad things in our past try to define us again, but the good things. I remember being told, and it's probably an old story, and I don't even know where it came from, but I remember being told one time that a football team was getting ready to go out on the field. Final state champions, one of two teams was going to be crowned victor. And the coach looked at his team and said, look, guys, we've done great. We've won all these games. We've received all these rewards. We've, we've been in the press. We've been in the newspaper. All these things have been said about us. But he looked at him and said, but you need to understand tonight, the other team didn't read the articles. The good things in your life can attempt to define you. And they need to be a part of your past. You all have known it. You have all, everybody's seen it in a movie or a TV show and probably have experienced it. There was that guy that was just amazing at baseball. His high school career was, was one accolade after another. Multiple college teams were coming after him, and they were, they were looking to scholarship him and, and get him into their system so he could play ball for them. The cold, hard reality is nobody cares. That's not who you are. Even our successes don't define us because we're not done with the journey. I remember one time when we were backpacking and climbing and I was pretty young at the time and I'm like tired and I'm exhausted and, and I'm hot and I'm miserable and I don't want to be there and I'm thinking of a million other places I'd rather be and I got to the top of the hill and I looked out and it looked beautiful and I felt like I had achieved something and so I sat down, I sat down on a rock and, and, I, and I just kind of laid back on my backpack and I thought, I'm there, I'm, I'm done. And my dad walks up to me and says, James, you know, you, you need to get back up because especially when you're backpacking or when you're climbing, you sit back like that, everything starts to stiffen up and then you don't want to get going again and it's just that much harder. And it doesn't matter what age you are that that happens. And I said, Dad, we're there. Look, we're at the top. And he helped me reposition away from some of the trees and pointed out to me and said, no, that's the top. I think we'd only left the car like 100 yards ago, but it felt like it had been the, the whole trip. Success is great. 
I want your teachers. I want your school. I want everybody to say as many great and positive things about you, your team, everything you've done and everything you're going to do. But no success is ever the finish. Don't let your success become the very anchor that keeps you from what God wants to do in the future. We don't take our past with us, good or bad, and we don't need our past. It helped us, and and we enjoyed it at the moment, but that's not where we live. We live going forward. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Do you know the phrase? Have you heard it enough this weekend? The new has come. This changes everything. It changes our future. Being a believer in Christ will make you more employable. It'll make you more dateable. I know that may sound weird, but you'll have better relationships if you follow Jesus in your relationships. You'll have better employment opportunities. You'll have better scholastic opportunities. God really does. When you meet Jesus, it changes everything. I can show you on a calendar the day I met Jesus, and I can show you on my college transcript the day I met Jesus. He changed everything. I would not be happily married, and I would not be a part of just the most amazing and awesome and ever-growing relationship that I'm a part of if Jesus hadn't been a part of the scenario. It changes our future. And most importantly, it changes our eternity. I spent my weekend with families who lost members of their family. One was a grandfather, deeply loved by all of his family. One was a grandmother, deeply loved by all of her family. I sat beside, held the hands of spouses, a wife and a husband, who will forever miss their spouse. And there is no comfort if there's no future. If it's just a matter of them turning something off at the hospital and you slowly disappear from all the events and circumstances and history of this world, there's nothing to look forward to. And I can sit there in those moments and know that's not my reality. If that happened to me this week, I am happier than I've ever been. At the end of Psalms 23, in a most intimate way, David says, Surely goodness and love has followed me all the days of my life. He was thinking about family. He was thinking about career. He was thinking about education. He was thinking about the buds he hanged out with. He was thinking about the great victories they had had in their armies. Goodness and love had followed him his whole life. He says, but now, now I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, heaven's an interesting thing. We can talk about all the majesty and all the grandeur and everything that's so appealing about it. I mean, who wouldn't want to see streets of gold? Who wouldn't want to see gates made out of a single pearl? Who wouldn't want to see a place where the, the light is, is so brilliant all the time because it's not light, it's 
the glory of God. Who wouldn't want to be in a place where every illness, every disease, every crippling effect on, a, on this frail physical body is healed and I'm given a new body that never ages, never bruises, and I'm given a new heart that never bruises and never gets broken. Who wouldn't want to be there? But of all the illustrations the scripture teaches us about heaven, there is none more beautiful than the simple invitation to sit down in God's living room. I will dwell in the house not the church, the sanctuary, not the temple. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord.